Hello and welcome to the weekly Unheard podcast and it's a big exciting week for feminism and also here at Unheard. We've been celebrating a hundred years since some women got the right to vote for the first time in this country. We're marking the occasion by having our first all-female podcast. Hurrah! So um, we've got Charlotte Pickles, who is our unheard editor of Capitalism. Hello, Charlotte. Uh, I'm joined by Hannah Peeker. Sorry, Hannah Peeker. Hannah Peeker. I don't know why I'm kind of doing a funny accent. Um, who is chief of staff at the Women's Equality Party which has had a phenomenal rise since it was created only a few years ago. And I think they're kind of onto something with this uh, feminism thing. And finally, I'm joined, I'm very excited to have this guest here, Victoria Bateman. Victoria's a regular contributor to uh, Unheard, but she's also a fellow of economics at Cambridge University. And Victoria is also naked. That's right. And you can see from what's written on my body, my body, my choice. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm making a stand today and I want to, let's say, hold a mirror up to, to, to society to ask to what extent are women in the modern day free to use their bodies as they wish. Well, it, it's, it's quite amazing and we think you should rename yourself the Naked Economist. Absolutely. Why um, not? I mean, you say hold a mirror, is that a hand mirror? Or, I mean, let's, <laughs> not, let's, not, let's not, please. Not, let's 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 not, So we're going to be discussing two topics today. First is tax. And uh, the second is sort of, you know, where are we with, with feminism as we uh, mark this centenary, centenary. So, Charlotte, I just want to sort of start with you. You have been doing a lot of work um, in the whole area of capitalism. It's a really big theme for Unheard. And just in the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series um, of different pieces of content looking at how we could change taxation, should we have a, a different forms of wealth tax. So just give us a bit of an overview about what you think is the current situation. Well. I decided to take a look at wealth taxes when I started looking at the data on wealth inequality. And we talk an awful lot about income inequality. You know, we're all very familiar with the kind of soaring CEO pay, stagnating wages, and that massive gap between the haves and the haves nots. Um, but when I actually started looking at wealth inequality, what I found was it was even worse. It's actually twice as bad as income inequality. And that really got me thinking. And, and, and I guess I would class myself as someone who, you know, is broadly kind of centre right. I believe in low taxes. But actually, I found it really challenging to think that we tax um, wealth or capital, essentially, at a much lower rate than we tax labour. So, for example, someone who does a 40-hour um, shift job, something like that, they pay income tax and they pay national insurance. Um, and income tax rates start at 20%, national insurance is about 12% on top. Whereas someone, say, a, a bank CEO who takes a large chunk of their earnings in stocks and shares, which many do, um, when they then actually sell those shares, they pay what's called capital gains tax, but they pay that rate at say 20 or 28%, which is lower then than the combined rate of income tax and national insurance for that shift worker. And that just can't be fair. So we produced an audio documentary here at Unheard, um, effectively looking at what can you do and we came up or I suppose I should rather grandly say I came up with my personal wealth tax own it, manifesto own it. exactly <laughs> own it. Uh, exactly um, and came up with three proposals uh, which I'll very very briefly state which first of all there's no godly reason why we tax capital gains at a lower rate than income tax and national insurance. It's just appalling, it's absurd. We need to equalise those rates. 
rich people shouldn't be paying less in tax than poorer people. Um, the second thing is to introduce something called a land value tax. So um, at the moment, uh, people who own land do awfully well from doing so because as we know, if you build a school or you do invest in roads or the local community forms a neighborhood policing group or something like that, um, the value of that land goes up. Um, but at the moment, all of that value accrues to the landlord and not to the community that's been investing. So I think we should introduce a land value tax so that you tax the, the wealth that is created from the land. And when would that be paid? Is that like a sort of a, an upgraded council tax or how would that actually exactly. work? So, so interestingly, I, I actually spoke to a um, Labour member of the London Assembly, uh, Tom Copley, oh, yeah. who is proposing uh, a land value tax for London. Um, and his proposal would essentially mean you bring in this land value tax, LVT, um, and you replace council tax and you replace business rates. So it becomes essentially the uh, land or property tax that London would have. And it would mean that people who own the land pay the tax rather than those people who perhaps are paying sky-high rents because they can't afford to buy a property in London. Um, so it's just a lot, lot fairer. And my third proposal um, was looking at inheritance tax, which is where it's got a little, more, little bit more controversial uh, on, on social media um, for us this week. So um, I don't believe that anyone has a right to inherit their parents' house. I believe in equality of opportunity. I think it's fair that people get as far as possible an equal start in life. And I think if you allow these kind of transferal uh, of wealth, then you're not doing that because somebody's starting, you know, the race ahead of someone else. Um, so I really believe in inheritance tax and I think we should have it. But the problem is that wealthy people um, manage to avoid paying much inheritance tax because, you know, they might give gifts in advance, they don't have to pay the tax or, um, you know, they find clever ways of, of putting their money and their, their property in, in other forms. Um, and so my proposal is that, and others have proposed it before me, is that we introduce something which rather technically is called an accession tax, but it's basically a tax on the recipient. So at the moment we tax the dead person on their estate, whereas this would tax the person who receives the money, because ultimately that money, that wealth that is being inherited is unearned income in the same way as any other income. Well, Charlotte, you've got my vote on all of these kind of things, and honestly, I think I think if I were the Labour Party, I'd be I'd be snapping up the Charlotte Pickles manifesto right now. I mean, what what do you think of this, um, Victoria? Obviously, with your economics background. So, so I think one question that um, I'm left wondering about, in response to particularly your last point on inheritance taxes, is what distinguishes you from. A communist, because you know, if you're thinking well, about I have equal been opportunity, if you're thinking about equal opportunity, if you're thinking the idea that inheriting wealth is bad, it stands in the way of equal opportunity, then why not go all the way? Why not have a hundred percent tax on wealth, where where we eliminate private property altogether, where we end up in a situation where the the wealth, the means of production, is is communally held. And that's exactly the point actually that's, that some people have um, commented on. I think the, the challenge is that when you have large transfers, transferals of wealth, what goes with that is also power and it's a big advantage. Now, if someone inherits inherits a small amount of money, you know, say someone gets £10,000 or something like that, you know, that can make a real difference to that person's life. Don't get me wrong, I understand that. Um, but it's probably not going to give them the massive foot up, you know, the, the real head start in life that someone who inherits, you know, a million pound house 
that they can then sell is going to get. So I am all for private property. I believe that people, if they want to save, invest, should be able to to own um, whatever it is that they buy. I just think that we have to be very clear in saying that, A, we have to raise tax from somewhere. You know, we all use public services. We all appreciate the police that keep us safe, you know, our, our military, our, our hospitals, all that kind of stuff. So if you want to raise tax, you have to find the fairest way of doing it. And Taxing money that someone hasn't earned because, you know, the the people who are inheriting the money haven't earned it seems a very fair way of doing that. And you give people a, a fairer, albeit, you know, I'm with you there, Victoria, not an entirely, completely uh, equal start in life. So I wonder to what extent it's it's a sticky plaster, that if we think about what's standing in the way of equal opportunity, then it's it's problems with how markets work. It's it's what Peter Franklin in response to your to your podcast um, notes is cronyism, corruption and exploitation. You know, if we can make markets work better, then perhaps those who are earning income that they are saving and generating wealth from, that that will be seen as um, a fairer outcome. But wouldn't you sort of agree that that is very important? We've done quite a lot of discussions about how, let's be honest, that capitalism is not, it's, it's migrated far away from what it was meant to be, which was fairness and it's now quite a rigged market which works for quite a small number of people but don't you think that there is a frustration about um you know taxing i mean let's be honest as well i think how you look at how big businesses taxed has got to be changed as well particularly the tech giants right now who don't seem to so. pay a, a, a sort of a bean but on the inheritance tax point i'm always really curious about this i'd like to get your views on this hannah everybody in principle says that is a really good idea. This money is is not earned by your hard endeavour. It's the luck of your parents. It's the you know fortune of your birth, until it comes to their own experiences, and then people get very emotional about any changes to inheritance tax or a mansion tax or a dementia tax, anything to do with people's property. People get very emotionally upset about it. What what is the solution? Well. The reason that people get very upset about these things is because we are facing unprecedented austerity, uh, rollback of services. People are in very, very difficult uh, financial situations. They're finding it hard to make ends meet. So when you have a, a, a structural inequality that is in play through every other economic uh, mechanism, uh, and you then try to say, well, this this gift that isn't actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's increasingly come to be something because of the ridiculous increase in property values, uh, concentrated obviously in certain areas of the UK, um, but it has come to be actually a lifeline for a lot of people, young people who are facing enormous crippling student debt, uh, unable to get on the housing ladder because prices have gone out of control. Um, so it's the moment of that, and that politics is about not just making the best policy, but also making them acceptable to people uh, at, at times when they are voting. So how do you uh, think so that this becomes a real challenge? Is there a way of selling Charlotte's proposal, which is the recipient has to take a bit more pain? How do you square that circle with? Yeah, I mean, my parents have, have passed away. Um, this might be my only chance to. Well, to get a break in life in terms of getting on the housing It's slightly ladder. harder to sell, isn't it? Because the person uh, dying <laughs> and passing their wealth over is actually probably more likely to agree that they don't mind a portion of that going towards tax versus the person who's inheriting it and facing those challenges I've described, agreeing that that's you know, uh, a, a fair option. Um, but it is is about explaining it. It's about explaining what that person uh, will gain, both individually and collectively in our society. What vision we have, the services we expect, 
uh, and why everybody committing to that form. But you're going to have to tackle the stuff that you're touching on around tax avoidance and evasion, because yeah. that seems you know, straightforwardly unjust that we're proposing a, a new tax for individuals uh, when these companies are getting away, mostly men, um, with, uh, you know, hiding their money in tax havens, not paying their, their dues. And I 100% agree with that. I, I, I definitely think we need to look at um, the amount of tax avoidance that goes on, but both actually by wealthy individuals and corporations. But but what I would say about the, the tax that I'm recommending to replace inheritance tax is that um, it, it also has a benefit that it encourages you to distribute your wealth more widely. So um, whereas at the moment, if someone's got, let's say, a £5 million um, inheritance of combination of home and maybe some savings or things like that, um, they're taxed on that £5 million pounds if they pass it on to you know uh, let's say victoria is the only recipient that gets that then she gets that's the, you're the naked I, I you're getting that you're naked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um really victoria gets the five five million on her own and then she's also taxed on the five million but let's say all four of us get a portion of that we're taxed and it may be that actually that brings us below the threshold so what it does is it says to people, okay, if you want to avoid paying tax uh, legally, then give your money to more people, which helps them to distribute wealth. It helps to decrease inequality. And actually, it means that the person who has saved hard and wants to pass that, their money on can legitimately pay less tax on it. And do you think, have you had any interest from any political parties on your um, on your brilliant tax <laughs> offer? Uh, I would love to say so. Uh, I had a retweet from George Freeman MP, if that <laughs> counts. Uh, the Women's Equality Party had some equivalent of a land value tax during yeah. the last general election. Yeah. Because, it, But but what I would say on that is, I mean, I, I think it's a great policy. I think we, we, we positioned it as a kind of precept uh, from landowners contributing towards those services. Um, but with all of these things, it's being careful not to be essentialist about one version working. That's where we've gone wrong with housing policy. Like this silver bullet we're all searching for, same with education policy. You actually need a combination of these, these things, partly because people will do their damnedest to avoid them, <laughs> but also partly because you need to be leveraging uh, things in response to how the market is playing as well. Uh, and changing economic position um, and so having a kind of you know plethora of ideas yeah, I think is, yeah. the, is the way forward. You see I, th I think there is an important tie here to women's bodies and to women's freedom if, if I'm allowed. Of course. So, um, so I would diagnose the problems that we face in the economy and these are big problems the slowdown in economic growth, rising income inequality, rising wealth inequality. I would diagnose the source of those problems as being a lack of freedom for women in poorer countries out there in the world today. If you look at how a country like Britain grew rich, it was actually through women having control over their lives, having control over their bodies. And the result was smaller families. With smaller families, you had um, a higher wage equilibrium that encouraged mechanization uh, and economic growth. Also with smaller families, women could invest um, in their children's education, families could invest in their children's education, it grew the skill base of the economy and families could afford to save so that helps to facilitate the investment and innovation in the economy. Now elsewhere in the world we have a very different equilibrium where women are not free, where they certainly don't have freedom to control their own bodies including their fertility. The result has been over the last century astronomical population growth in, in certain parts of the world and as those two equilibria have come to clash, as the world has gone global, that low wage, low freedom equilibria out there in poorer countries has undermined the equilibria that we reached in the West. 
Now the solution to that is not to put up barriers and it is not to use a sticky plaster of say taxing wealth, it is to go to the roots of the problem to ensure that all women across the world today have freedom, including freedom over their body, well, over their fertility. I mean I would, I would, I would, I would agree with quite a lot of that and I think it segues us quite nicely into the next part of our conversation and actually I think you know just to finish this section off in terms of tax in terms of where uh, a society's priorities lie you often chase the money and I do think that women have been quite disproportionately affected through the centuries and decades by kind of fiscal decisions you know tax is often hugely unfair on women austerity is often you know the women bear the brunt um, of austerity I always think it's amazing we have had two female prime ministers we've got a female first minister in Scotland we have never ever ever had a female chancellor or even a shadow chancellor and I think that tells you a lot about where um, you know we have to go to in terms of real feminism which takes us neatly onto our discussion about um, feminism of course you know you, you can't have moved this week um, you know for, for not seeing lots of fantastic historical recognition of what was achieved 100 years ago. It's important to point out that all women didn't get the vote um, 100 years ago, women over 30 and women who owned property. So there's probably a bit of a loop in terms of what we were talking about before coming into to play. But, you know, feminism is a great topic. Everyone shouts loudly about it. It was only a couple of years ago. People didn't even want to mention the F word. People felt uncomfortable about talking about feminism. Here we are. But the the future of feminism and where feminism goes next is is a subject of contention and victoria you've written a piece for unheard um, and it's titled feminism may have won the vote but it has lost its way do you want to give us a quick praise of your argument yes so i think for centuries men have restricted and regulated what women can do with their bodies and my worry is that we're moving into the 21st century and that women are starting to do that to other women I think there is a sense in which we could see certain strands of feminism, and I should say that there are all different varieties of feminism, so I'm in no way condemning feminists here, and I would class myself as a feminist, but I think there are certain strands that look increasingly like a gang of supposedly, quote, clever women who are using their increased power, often as a result of gaining um, political positions or professional high-level positions to make life more difficult for other women, including women who are making money from a very different asset, their body. And here you see um, the livelihoods of sex workers, of page three girls, of glamour models, of grid girls, all of those um, livelihoods, I think, being undermined, the rug being pulled from under the feet of those women as this gang of um, what I would <laughs> think of as as rather the privileged women. Okay. So your, your kind of argument, you feel that feminism is becoming a bit narrow and elite and, and particularly that the grid girls has become the sort of... And obviously, Hannah, I'm going to come straight to you for uh, your response. I mean, just tell us a little bit about what you think to that and also like why you were part of founding the, the, the Women's Equality Party. Yeah, I mean, I think I completely disagree. I think I think feminism is at a, a wonderful point where the youngest generations are leading the charge and their first demand is that it's intersectional. 
uh, and uh, and in doing that, they're really unpacking what intersectionality means. Uh, how Can you describe for some yeah. of our viewers, what, what listeners, what that so what it that looks means. at the crossroads of different aspects of your identity and different inequalities that you experience. So how, for example, race interacts with gender uh, to create double or triple disadvantages, uh, or interacts in different ways to create very particular advantages that don't belong to other groups. Um, and it's also it's not just an analysis; it's a response. It's to say, well, then what is the role of different women and men within the feminist movement uh, to make space for both a more detailed understanding and to centre the experiences of those women uh, who are least uh, least advantaged, uh, kind of the furthest first. Um, and I think it's a it's it's a, a, a beautiful and empowering lesson that's being uh, being taught. I think this. There's been a lot of discussion uh, in the last six months about core issues around equal pay, around sexual harassment, about violence against women and girls. And what we're seeing in response is the very predictable response, the backlash of the status quo uh, established community to say this is gang, this is hysterical, this is witch hunt, this is, you know, all the terms that are used uh, to try and say uh, that feminists aren't quite good enough to make this case. And in fact, I think they're doing a, a fantastic job I don't I don't accept this idea that uh, women are throwing other women under the bus and that therefore somehow feminism is responsible for that I think women uh, as part of the feminist movement always have work to do to uh, learn be curious about understand center the experiences of other women but but not it's not happening in the way that's being portrayed as a kind of gang it will inevitably happen because we live in an unequal society that the media which plays a crucial role in the in, in culture uh, will center the experiences you know look at the Pestminster scandal uh, there was only one story attributed in the news to the barmaid who experienced harassment versus the very prominent yeah. stories, right? Uh, and not only was it one story, they also brought in images of her for her Facebook, which she didn't consent to them using, to try and show her as somehow kind of propositioning, asking for that behaviour. Um, so the treatment of the media has a massive role. It puts those experiences first. It goes to Carrie Gracie, you know, it goes to the people that it thinks are a good representation. And we need to challenge that as well. Well, I mean, I, do, I suppose I'll probably come in as a sort of classic Tony Blair third way somewhere <laughs> in the kind of what one. I mean, I, I mean, I have been a lifelong feminist. I'm proud to have you know worked on the Equality Act, was a special advisor for Harriet Harman, sort of, you know, leading feminist of our of our times. And I think, I think one of the things I'm always conscious about is that when you acquire power as a woman in politics it's great to see women reach the top and with any platform we, we need to have more women's voices um but it's not just you getting to the top and getting that quiet power it's like what do you do with that sort of power you know margaret thatcher tremendous personal success for margaret thatcher to become this country's first female prime minister at a time when it was a men only club but what was her legacy in terms of helping women i think i, I personally feel it wasn't a particularly good one she left an all-male cabinet and i think she didn't exactly make life kind she of didn't that lose much that through better. the rise to power because she, she never had planned to have a no, feminist exactly. politics. So I think that's the thing. I think it's not just you kind of gaining power. It's what you what you do with that. And I sometimes do feel, particularly me as a, as a Muslim woman, as a, as a woman of colour, sometimes I do feel, I have a slight amount of sympathy with you because I do feel sometimes it is, you get one view of um, the world. But on the other hand, I think divide and rule on you're a bad feminist, no, you're a bad feminist, no, you're not doing it the right way, is so divisive and I think it, it's a kind of a ploy to actually 
for the patriarchy to kind of keep because if we're all squabbling amongst ourselves then it keeps everybody mm. down but I mean Charlotte what's, what's your take on the whole thing? I, I found Victoria's piece actually quite challenging to read so I would typically have looked at you know something like page three something like um, you know the grid girls that type of stuff um, glamour models as you know being being a, a problem and feeling like actually that's a way of objectifying women you know I don't want to reinforce this idea amongst a certain group of men that that is you know women are just sexual objects in some way and and what have you but but actually when I read Victoria's piece it did make me reflect reflect and think but am I just you know applying my own kind of views and what I see as acceptable and what I would want to be as a woman onto a set of people who who you know as Victoria point pointing out are making a livelihood from what they're doing and may well want to be doing that and be choosing actively to do that and and I do think it's a problem that then um, and I'm having to look at myself here as, as much as anything and think well you know I'm going to judge them for it where I do think it gets into sticky water and where I become more uncomfortable is actually when you move into more around questions like prostitution and then I think there are some deep um, unsettling issues around choice which I think we have to be very very careful about but on on the grid girls because this has been the sort of woo this is the thing that's kind of like lit it all up I mean what I think is interesting about that is that the the industry itself has taken the decision to be fair no politician or no group I mean you haven't lobbied for these jobs to to be axed or anything like that no, no one has actually called for these jobs to to be banned um, the industry itself has made that decision and I think that's partly because um, time is sort of moving on and as a society we're wanting to become a bit more modern it's a bit like um, when I you know when page three was still around you know I would be the only female advisor in the room preparing for something very important in politics like Prime Minister's questions and you're sat there you're the only woman in the room and there's a massive pair of tits looking at you know I know there's a very nice <laughs> pair of boobies looking at me now but that was like different because I was the only woman in the room I, you could argue I was surrounded by a lot of tits but it was like kind of we were really like really even all the men around me were slightly uncomfortable it was like really in this day and age so I think with the grid girls I sort of feel like it's almost like time is sort of moving on we we don't we're just trying to become more modern as a society and of course if anyone loses their job I feel feel terrible of course one does but lots of industries do modernize and, and move on and I think that's probably for the for the good I, I think it's a bias I think what you're saying is that it's okay for women to make money from their brains but not from their bodies I mean doesn't that generate inequality no, in you could be a model you could be a model no problem at all with somebody being but also the, the notion that we're not we're not dealing with inequalities in relation to women selling their brains well firstly you're implying that grid girls don't use their brains which I don't agree with but also the scandal around equal pay uh, at the BBC has been one that has focused entirely on whether women are being paid uh, equally uh, for, for work of equal value focused on their role as journalist correspondents in using their brains um, but also this what, what I don't what I don't accept is that it is women saying to women that you shouldn't do that I think what women are saying is to the industries which are run largely by men uh, that you should be considering your role uh, in purchasing in creating uh, uh, gender unequal opportunities for men and women and that transcends also to 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 sex work um, or to prostitution let's let's call it call it what it is because um, we what the feminists are focused on is ending demand by having punitive measures for the purchaser of prostitution so, so not the, the prostitute the Nordic model now but what you do when you criminalize the buying of sex is effectively to say that sex shouldn't be being sold 
So instantly you're saying it's okay to make money from your brain, but not from your body. Now, of course, there are issues with, you know, women being forced into prostitution, and I'm not denying that, and those should be tackled. But similarly, there are issues around people being forced to work in fields in Norfolk, you know, human trafficking in agriculture. We don't, from that, ban ban anyone employing agricultural workers and and aim to, to, to end agricultural work in the UK. One of the big issues that I have with those feminists, and this includes people like Kat Banyard, author of Pimp State, is that they deny the idea that any woman could freely choose to sell her body. Sure, and I think that is a I dangerous think, I think everybody is saying, I mean, I don't think anybody is saying nobody would, would ever possibly want to do that. But certainly from... You know, if you, if you, a lot of the conversations I've had with women who are prostitutes is that they are where they are now. Their lives have been riven with tragedy and misery Absolutely. and often abuse, heavy, heavy drug addiction, you know, from a very, very, very because early because we as a society age. shame them. But also, we as a society have slapped huge austerity on them as well. I had, I heard the most heartbreaking story from um, a prostitute who said that there is actually a rise in prostitution at the moment because a lot of women are finding it so hard to make ends meet. It's benefits, changes to benefits and everything that have got become so tough, it's actually easier for the woman to go out and turn a few tricks. And, um, and, that, and so, that's tragic, but, but do we make those lives of, of those women easier or harder when we I think criminalise what, the buying of sex? But I think what they were asking us for hands. is... No one really is, is kind of at the stage, but why do we not talk as well more about doing things to make their lives better, whether it's tax, whether it's benefits, absolutely. whether it's access to education, mm -hmm. access to childcare, all of that kind but of thing. But also very few people are proposing the Nordic model in isolation from proper exiting services that provide but support. Again, there, there is an implicit assumption there that if you make money from your body, it is wrong. I mean, this is no, a very historically religious to view abuse. that the body is sinful. And I don't it's think the body is It's nothing to do with the body sinful. being sinful. It's to do with, we're talking about living in a deeply unequal world uh, in which women suffer financially, economically, Absolutely. and all of these things. And so the choice is framed in those terms. Absolutely. And this should be led by the experiences of women, not only who are in prostitution, but who have exited. Yeah. But if I can just, uh, just, I'm, just I'm just sort of conscious of um, time as well. But I think what's really, really interesting is that these debates, there's so many big issues going on. You know, the, you mentioned the Carrie Gracie and quite a lot the, the criticism has been, well, that's just posh women at the top of the BBC. Well, here we now have today Tesco's facing a huge um, backlash. There's women on the on the shop floor, um, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's, you know, how the justice system, we've got the whole case of John Warboys. There's, there's so many really profound big issues um, for women to face. I suppose my plea would be that the grid girls thing is really interesting and it's a good sort of chatting point but it kind of goes back to the ethos of unheard which is let's talk about what is really really important some of the deeper issues as opposed to some of the more I think kind of gimmicky things that sort of come along to, to, to sort of chase the, the news headlines but look this has been a fantastic um, discussion thank you all so much for joining hopefully for, for it will be the first of many um, all female uh, we are going to get a, a good picture because we want we need the evidence of Absolutely. Victoria making <laughs> a, a brilliant 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 <laughs> modern um, suffragette and uh, please do visit the website um, unheard.com please do listen to the um, podcast and leave us a review on iTunes 
iTunes and um, there'll be, there's plenty of fantastic content on tax, on feminism, on loads of um, great issues and we will speak to you again next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>